You are listening to the weekly sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church in Canton, South Dakota. We're a church that strives to make disciples of Jesus Christ who make a difference. To learn more, visit us at cantonsdumc.org. And now, here's Pastor Clay. Our scripture reading this morning comes to us from the book of Genesis in chapter 50. On page 60 in your pew Bibles, we're going to be reading together um, from uh, chapter 50, verses um, 15 uh, through 21. After the death of their father, Jacob, Joseph's brothers said, What if Joseph still hates us and plans to pay us back for the harm that we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph. Before our father died, he told us to ask you, Please forgive the crime your brothers committed when they wronged you. Now please forgive us the wrong that we, the servants of your father's God, have done. Joseph cried when he received this message. Then his brothers themselves came and bowed before him and said, Here we are before you as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. I cannot put myself in the place of God. You plotted evil against me, but God turned it into good in order to preserve the lives of many people who are alive today because of all that has happened. You have nothing to fear. I will take care of you and your children. And so he assured them with kind words that touched their hearts. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you. For you, O God, are our rock and you are our redeemer. And we give you thanks for who you are as we say together, Amen. I have spoken before about my admiration and appreciation of researcher and storyteller Brene Brown. And just kind of as a spoiler alert, I will talk about her again in a sermon. I've listened to probably far too much of her stuff between her podcasts and her audiobooks and reading her books and going to classes by people that do kind of the same work that she does. But in one of her books called Dare to Lead, her key teaching in, one, in that book and in something that she mentions throughout all of her teaching is that there is power in the assumption of positive intent. There is power in the assumption of positive intent. If we believe that people are doing the best they can, if we believe that humanity's default position is to act in the best interest for you and the situation, and because she deals a lot with organizations, the organization, people are inherently good. We can assume that, right? More often than not. The problem is, and the reason why Brene Brown has to write about this and talk about this so much, is that sometimes assuming positive intent can be really, really hard, right? I don't know if you need proof, but I did bring an example. I want you to picture yourself in this scenario. I stole this picture from Google Maps, but this is the corner of 5th Street by Pump and Pack. You know the spot where the right lane turns into a right turn only lane? Are you there with me? Picture yourself in that scenario. I'm already hearing giggles. Y'all know where I'm going. You're running a little bit late. 
And already that 25 mile an hour speed limit feels a bit like you are crawling. And then all of a sudden, without warning, someone swerves from the right lane to the left lane because they don't want to turn south. They want to keep going east. They drive a block and a half and park in front of the garden shed. What assumptions are you making? We'll talk about what you do when you drive past them at a different time, but just what assumptions are you making? Are you assuming positive intent in that scenario? No, you're not. Maybe this says more about me, but I know I'm not. That person is intellectually inferior to me. That person needs to pay better attention. That person doesn't know what they're doing. They need to put their phone down. They have no business being behind the wheel. Oh, and by the way, I would never make a mistake like that. What would it take to assume positive intent in this scenario? Is that person doing the best that they can? Did they make a wrong turn? Did they think of something at the last second and need to go talk to Paul and Kim about some flowers because they about forgot their wife's birthday again? You look down at their vehicle and they're from Texas. They're not from around here. Maybe they didn't know. Is there a sign? Yes. Is the road painted so that you know that that's a right turn only lane? Yes. But would it be so hard to assume that they made an innocent mistake? Would it be so hard to assume that this driver is not a part of a global conspiracy designed to make you and you alone late? Logically, yes, when we have time to process, yes, but in the heat of the moment? Are we assuming positive intent? Over the past six weeks, we've been walking through this story with Joseph, the story of Joseph's life, and we can understand, when we read our scripture this morning, we could understand if Joseph is having a hard time assuming positive intent when it comes to his brothers. They proved pretty early on that Joseph, that, uh, to, to Joseph that they did not have his, his best interests at heart. They did not want the best for him. They, did not, they were not doing the best that they could. When we meet Joseph for the very first time in Genesis chapter 37, he is a 17-year-old boy. He is living in his father's house as his father's favorite son and his brother's least favorite brother. And after getting fed up with the blatant favoritism, the brothers band together and decide to trap and beat Joseph and leave him for dead. It is only when they realize that there's a dual benefit to what they're doing that they could benefit financially from a different plan that they decide to sell him into slavery. They've made a quick buck and gotten rid of the brother. What could possibly go wrong? And that's the last that we hear about the brothers for quite some time. The story stays with Joseph. 
The story stays with the one that was given God-given dreams of greatness, the one whose story expanded from Canaan to Egypt, the one who is currently guiding Egypt through the weirdest 14 years of human history. Because this seven years of good crops and this seven years of squalor wasn't just for Egypt, but for the entire region. The famine has spread out all the way to Joseph's homeland, all the way to Joseph's family. And maybe life wasn't so hard in Egypt where they had some kind of warning, but everybody else is in tough shape. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 42, word has reached Jacob and the brothers that there is grain in Egypt. And so Jacob sends the brothers to Egypt to get grain. And they arrive and they are before Joseph and they don't recognize him. They bow before this strange person. They beg for grain. They beg for mercy, not knowing that it's their brother. But why would they think it's their brother? They sold him off into slavery, and God knows where he is at this point. Even assuming the most positive intent, there is no way why some random slave would become the prime minister of Egypt. But yet in the providence and wisdom of God, that is exactly what has happened. And so after some brotherly shenanigans because Joseph has had an entire lifetime to catch up on with their brothers, after some brotherly shenanigans, Joseph does more than just give them grain. Joseph reveals himself to them, makes amends, and invites them to live in Egypt. But even in the midst of this interaction, Joseph has learned enough to not assume positive intent of the brothers. That's a bridge too far. And this is wise because there is no positive intent to be found. Way back in the day, the brothers were jealous. The brothers were angry. The brothers took intentional steps to get rid of Joseph. And even here and now in our scripture for this morning, the brothers are still wheeling and dealing and trying to manipulate the situation so that Joseph won't be as mad. Hey, let's get together and let's tell Joseph that dad made, us prom- or made him promise to take care of us. Joseph cannot prove positive intent. But what I find so interesting is that Joseph, throughout this entire story, has extended positive intent to God. That Joseph has lived this entire story, lived his entire life with a godly conviction, with a godly character, with a godly grace. Throughout all of his hardships, throughout all these times that I told you the story was just going to get worse and worse and worse, Joseph held on to his faith. Held on to this belief that God was there in the midst of all of it. And even now when he's faced with an opportunity to benefit himself and punish his brothers, he doesn't take it. He looks out for a sense of godly good. He feeds them. 
gives them a home and goes so far as to forgive them. You have nothing to fear, Joseph says. And the secret as to why is no secret at all because Joseph tells us exactly why he's doing what he's doing. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says, You plotted evil against me. You did that. You plotted evil, but God turned it into good. God turned it into good. And notice that Joseph knows and that we know God did not cause the harm. God did not cause the hardship. Joseph's brothers did. As the story unfolds, Potiphar and his wife caused the harm. As the story unfolds, the forgetful wine steward caused the harm. But even now, Joseph assumes positive intent for God and believes that God is operating from a position of wanting the best, not just for Joseph, but for all of God's creation. But imagine if the story was different. There are so many places in the story where it could have gone absolutely off the rails if Joseph had not kept a view of God of positive intent. It would have been so easy for Joseph to let anger turn into bitterness, to let temptation give in to immorality, to let fear become despair and his suffering to turn into self-pity. But each time, each step, each moment that Joseph found himself in an impossible situation, he saw God at work in the midst of it. And as his story draws to a close, Joseph reveals the ways that God has been at work. You all plotted this evil against me, but God turned it into good to preserve the lives of many people who are alive today. God sent Joseph ahead to preserve life. If Joseph doesn't interpret Pharaoh's dream, who can? And who suffers because of it? God sent Joseph ahead to preserve a remnant of Israel. God's hand was in all of it, tailoring every circumstance, working in the midst of every circumstance to do the most amount of good for the most amount of people over the longest period of time. And friends, I got to tell you, I do not know another story in the Bible or another story in history where one person has had to endure more than Joseph. And did so with so much character and so much grace. And it is my literal prayer that we never know that situation in our lives, that we go into circumstances that are that dire. But I know that we will go through things that are not fair. A lot of us are currently going through things that are not fair. We will go through things that are not just. We will go through things that are confounding. 
we will go through challenges more severe than being cut off on Fifth Street. But God is with us in the midst of all of it. And to be able to have the spiritual vision and the strength of the convictions that Joseph shows, shows us the best way forward. And shows us how our hardships and our successes can both draw us closer to the heart of God. And make us more and more into the person that God intends for us to be. To be able to see God working for good in the midst of all things. To be able to see God redeeming evil. To be able to see God assuming positive intent enables us to walk with our eyes on God's intentions over and above our own circumstances. Would you pray with me? Holy God, God who is set apart and different from us, we, your people, give you thanks for who you are and the way that you move and work in our lives, the way that you redeem the what we think is irredeemable, the way that you make beautiful things out of damaged stuff, the way that you transform situations and thus transform lives. As we go through hard things in life, as we go through things that just leave us speechless. Help us to seek and find you in the midst of them so that we may continue to live for you a life that is discipleship. And may we notice those around us and may we, as Joseph, assure them with words that touch their hearts. Not that you, O oh God, cause these hard things, but you, O oh God, use these hard things to your greater glory and to our larger benefit. Be with us a God of positive intent so that we may see you at work in all things. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Canton United Methodist Church. Join us in person or online at 10 o'clock every Sunday morning for worship. And now go in peace and serve the Lord. I want to encourage you after the message to head over to our YouTube channel and click the subscribe button. Over on YouTube, you will find videos of our entire worship service, a video cast of our weekly Cut for Time conversation with Pastor Clay and Eric, songs from our praise band One Way Up, and a bunch of other great things as well. Just search for Canton United Methodist Church. It would mean a lot to have you subscribe.